now they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. We're going to break down the fourth wall a little bit on this one. (laughs) We had some minor technical difficulties coming into this. So we're drinking more beer than we normally do. So we'll see how this goes by the end of it. It, sh- it should be better. It then. should always yeah. be better yeah. when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, welcome back, guys. Barstool Politics. I am your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, boys. Hey, Nick. Hey. Hey, hey guys. Hey, hey Phil. <laughs> uh, before we get started, uh, want to share it, have questions, comments. Uh, beer suggestions, anything like that, follow us on Twitter uh, at Barstool Paul, P O L, uh, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Um, beers that we try, you can find on the Untapped app uh, on iOS and Android. Um, so we're just Barstool Politics on there. So look at the reviews of anything that we try. The podcast, ex- podcast itself, I'm just choking now, um, you can find on SoundCloud and Stitcher and Google Play Music. Uh, and then most of you are listening on iTunes, so review us and share us and, you know, like us through there. Review us. Be nice. Actually, yeah. I, actually I don't really care if you be nice. Just Well, we've had a lot be of, nice. a nice jump in listenership in the last couple of weeks, yes. so welcome to our new listeners. Hi. And yeah, and, and if you're enjoying the podcast, tell your friends. This has been great. We're very excited about numbers, so thank you. Well, yeah, we've a bunch of... <laughs> what? We've hit it big in Turkey, so shout out. Apparently. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Hey. Tur- Turkish listeners, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> We're international. <laughs> Uh, also, if you've been listening or haven't been listening over the past few episodes, uh, we've uh, predicted um, you, it's a uh, real money uh, political prediction market. You can think of it as a stock market for politics. Pretty much you can buy and sell shares in future political events. Um, so, I mean, anything that you can think of right now, midterm results, uh, Trump's in pe- possible impeachment, yes. um, tons of different things. How many, how can, many tweets he's going to send out? Yeah. Uh, I, I did one the other day. It was, would he use the term fake news three times in tweets over the next three days? And I bet on it. I'm like, that's, that's a done deal. He's absolutely <laughs> going to do that. And I lost. He didn't do it once over those three days. But Aww. then the next day, he did it like six times. It's <laughs> just a mush. Yes. <laughs> um, the best part about this, uh, though, is that Predicted is offering Barstool Politics listener a special deal. Um, so any listener who uses the uh, promotional link... Uh, when opening up a new account, will receive up to a $20 match on their first deposit. So if you open up a $20 account, they will match that up to $20. That's $40, Nick. That's free 40 money. Whole yes. dollars. Free money. Free, free money. Yep. Yep. You would be dumb not to do it. So don't be dumb. <laughs> that should be their tagline. Anyways, um, yeah, just use the promotional link, uh, predictit.org slash promo slash barstool, Paul, P-O-L, two zero. Uh, again, predictit.org slash promo slash barstoolpaul20. 
Uh, we'll put it up on social media um, as we always do, and we'll mention it again at the end of the podcast and whenever else we can. Yeah. So thanks to the guys at Predictive. We, we appreciate it. I will say this last week, we've got lots of primaries going on. And so we talked last on the last episode about the Ohio 12th and then the it was the Republican primary in Kansas as being two really exciting ones. I got on there, and the night of the primary was wagering and watching it. It was incredibly exciting and responsive. So as returns were going in, you could watch the market shift. Uh, and it was it was a ton of fun. I made a lot of money because I'm so smart. <laughs> but it's one of those things where if you and I think a lot of our listeners are, if you are a political junkie, uh, this is this is a really inexpensive and fun way. I mean, you can you can do it for a lot of money, but you can also do it. You can buy a share for less than a dollar. And that's that's I'm usually doing like two or three dollar wagers. It's a great way to get in and have fun and also you know, kind of watch the the science of politics play out. Mm-hmm. It's and it's great. instantaneous. You it can is. see changes very, very quickly. In the Ohio yeah. 12th, I was watching that, and I had the Republican, and it was like 50-50 for most of the night. And then there was a, a movement in the market where he jumped, like, I don't know, like 20 cents or something. And I was texting Phil, and I said, Phil, what should I do? And he said, sell, sell. <laughs> and it was it was amazing how quickly. Like, I hit sell, and suddenly it was done. Somebody bought it. It's, it's a really responsive and incredibly fun place to to kind of watch politics oh nice yeah it's a good plug it is i like it <laughs> I'm, I'm having fun with well it. done so um yeah let's get into it and uh talk about some more dumb people while 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 we're here are you referencing amorosa I, um, she's I, back nick i don't like you implying what i'm i saying. know you, i know you missed her she, okay, she's back so amorosa's back and she's promoting a book about her time in the white house now in general one should dismiss dismiss everything amorosa says But lucky for us, she has tapes. (laughs) On Monday morning, she shared a recording with NBC News in which Trump expresses regret at her departure from the White House. Go to the tape, Nick. Okay. (laughs) See how this goes. Been dismissed. Amorosa, what's going on? I just saw on the news that you're thinking about leaving. What happened? General Kelly. General Kelly came to me and said that you guys wanted me to leave. No, nobody even told me about it. Nobody, wow. you know, they run a big operation, but I didn't know it. I didn't know that. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> I don't want you leaving at all. <laughs> I don't want you leaving at all. That's, that's so bad. All right, we'll come back to that. We'll talk about that. So Trump immediately took to Twitter to bash Amarosa, calling her a crazed, crying lowlife. Trump also stated that, quote, when General Kelly came on board, he told me she was a loser and nothing but problems. I told him to try to work it out because she only said great, all caps, things about me until she got fired. Nick, he said the quiet thing out loud again. <laughs> He followed that up with another tweet Tuesday commending uh, General Kelly, which he he doesn't call him chief of staff. He still calls him General Kelly for firing that dog. Ooh, we got to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Amoroso has also alleged that Trump used the N-word and produced another tape of campaign officials discussing how to spin its potential release, which suggests that there may be something to that. Amoroso provides a useful opportunity for some reflection on who Trump surrounds himself with. I'm not convinced it's the best and the brightest. Uh, One additional nugget that emerged on Monday was Trump's Twitter admission that he has all the White House staff sign non-disclosure agreements. While I know those are common in the corporate world, they just don't feel right in the realm of democratic governance. Phil, you and Amoroso dated for a while in the 1980s. Um, How are you handling her return? She didn't kill you, too, like she killed Michael (laughs) Clark Duncan. Oh, you know, and as the days went on, this story got bigger and bigger and more fascinating. So so what what are you reacting to? 
I mean, this is it's it's so characteristic of news in the Trump era, especially with the people he surrounds himself with, because you like she isn't she's not a credible source at all. Right. But no one is. And so trying to make sense of all of this in which you have two liars lying <laughs> at each other about, you know, anyway, it's it's kind of it's kind of mind boggling. I mean, there's so many elements to this. I, the, for whatever reason, as you were going through the intro, the thing that stands out to me is I don't know why she was there in the first place. I don't know that anyone really knows why she was there in the first place. But Trump comes out and says it, essentially, which is that she said great things about him, right? Yes. She flattered him, and so he made a position for her, and that's her qualification. Her only qualification is that she uh, praises praises. Trump. Is that a good quality in a president that what they're looking for is somebody who praises them? Yes. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, Kennedy and yes. Lincoln Lincoln very famously surrounded himself with only yes men, <laughs> if I remember correctly. <laughs> um yeah, I mean she I don't know. I mean, which road do we want to go down? Do we want to go down the alleged, you know, the use of the N-word? Do we want to go down, you know, the fact that the non-disclosure agreement aspect of it? Do we want to go down the fact that yes. Trump can't? <laughs> can we start? Maybe can we start with the tape where he's, he pretends like he had nothing, he had no knowledge of this and the, oh, I can't believe they did this. We've It's a big operation here. Nick, is he telling the truth? No. Okay, good. <laughs> no, even I don't believe that. No, he 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 doesn't like people to not like him. Yeah. And I think it's as, as simple as that. You know, it can't be about him. It has to be someone else doing the dirty work. Right. Again, uh, but, plausible deniability. Right, exactly. <laughs> but does that mean... That doesn't mean that. It, so that doesn't mean it was his idea to cut to let her go, no, right? Probably it was, wasn't. Kelly decides she has to go, and Trump's like, "Oh, okay, yeah, <laughs> right," and can't explain it. <laughs> but that, that's that's pretty amazing in and of itself, right? That that Trump again is not necessarily the leader in this group, right? He's he, Kelly's yes. sort of pushing the buttons or driving things, and Trump is is you know rubber stamping it or and apologizing to them, right? That the the idea of Trump as this great leader and decision maker, which I, I didn't ever buy into, but which is part of this persona that gets put out there, is just shot to pieces by yeah. this sort of this sort of interaction. Well, yeah, I mean, we've said it from day one, even before he got elected, he would surround himself with people that would do the job for him. At the time, we thought they would be qualified people. That did not turn out to be the case. Um, yeah, it's but I, I, um, it's I, I do want to take credit for something that we did on this podcast, saying that there's now this separation between the president and the people running the administration. And I'm starting to see a lot of news stories about that mm -hmm. right now. I'm going to say right now we said it first on something that, you know, was publicized at least a week ago. And I, I'm I'm thinking the news organizations picked it up. That's right. We, yeah, they're obviously. listening in on us. Mm -hmm. You know, for, to, <laughs> the other thing that I find interesting is that he actually said this out loud. That he said, you know, I told him to try to work it out because she said only great things about me. Uh -huh. I mean, to Phil's point, like she shouldn't have been in the White House. She clearly isn't qualified. And the, he acknowledges that. Well, she said good things about me, so I thought she was valuable. And it's one thing to say, well, Trump's a flawed character, but that it goes further than that in that foreign leaders are looking at this. So Vladimir Putin is thinking about this and, and uh, you know, the president of, of the Philippines and China are thinking about how do we work Trump? And he's telling them, just say nice things about me. Right. It really is. It's a dangerous 
character flaw that you're that easily swayed by somebody saying nice well, things about but you. But they know that. I they know. are the ones who are the best at knowing that. I know. Because they've done it so well so but far. But he admits to it so easily. Right. Oh. I, I think about I think about group thing, right? So when yes. I you know, you and I both talk about this when we teach our foreign policy class, that the 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 idea of the, the danger of surrounding yourself with people who just tell you what you want to hear um, and, and the ways in which that leads to really poor decision making, because you're not considering all your alternatives. You're not being challenged on, you know, the flaws in your logic. And that's exactly what he's doing. Right. I mean, the, the, the best presidents, when people look at sort of the psychology of administrations, the, the best ones are ones who surround themselves with people who challenge them, who, you know, you want you want him to be saying, I want you to work it out because she's really smart or because she knows what the hell she's talking about or because she provides a perspective that we don't have or you know I, I know that she's challenging but she brings all these things to the table but the only thing she brings to the table is that she strokes his ego right. and that's that is I mean it like you said it's 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 kind of a sad psychological thing but that's a really dangerous thing at a, at a high level of decision making you you want someone to when Trump says we should do X and X is really problematic. You want someone who's not going to just be there to tell him how great he is, but to tell him why X is problematic. Right. The team of rivals model where everybody's pushing back and all presidents embrace that to different degrees. But it seems like Trump doesn't care at all about it. Um, it's no, it's it's deeply problematic. Uh, he cares about it. He just cares about it in the inverse way. That's right? right. So it's not that it's, it's not that he's OK with it if it happens. He is totally opposed to people challenging him. Sure. Phil, you mentioned a whole bunch of topics. Should we start with the whole conversation about whether he said the N word and Amorosa? I mean, I mean, so she is. I think both of you suggest this less than a credible voice. She's a piece of shit, <laughs> and I'll but be glad to go into detail on that. But one. she's perfect in the Trump administration, right? Because she's him in in a certain way, right? They're both they're both shysters. They're both she's an egotistical opportunist. Yeah, yeah. So she's Trump, Idiot. right? Yeah. Uh, and so there was a previous book that Fire and Fury by I can't think of think the author's name, and he came out and he was loose with the truth, and his book was quickly thrown away as garbage. Now I, I'm guessing that Amoroso saw that and said, "I got to have tapes." And I tend to agree with you. I think she's I, I don't trust her. She peddles in hearsay, but if she has tapes, that changes things, right? It, it makes her a much more credible witness. Uh, no. no, it doesn't. No, <laughs> absolutely not. It, it, I would think it's the inverse of that. It doesn't make her a better person. No, I but think the, it makes her a less credible person. But even so, even the so the second tape she released was the one about the N word today, where they had a couple uh, uh, campaign Trump campaign officials talking about how they were going to handle the release of this information. That there's a tape out there. If there's a tape out there, right? But not that they. Yeah. I see that as they're strategizing if this exists. We need a strategy for handling it. And right. I'll say Nick, right now, yeah. this tape does not exist. Nick's but, on the but, record. So, but, but Nick, what happens no. if if uh, what happens if they release a tape of you saying the N word? What are you talking about? Right. You you know immediately that there's no such tape. Right. 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 Yeah. But the Trump administration does not. Like <laughs> yes. Trump even tweeted out that I asked Mark Burnett if he had a tape, and he says no. Why would you even say like? Like the only way, like if if someone said to me, "Hey, Mark Burnett has a tape of you saying the N word," I'd be like, "No, he doesn't. <laughs> it just doesn't exist." Like I know that doesn't exist. Well, but regardless, if if she's saying that it exists and it doesn't exist, regardless of what the administration says, if they're coming up with a strategy, because again, there is this weird separation between the chief executive and the people running the administration. 
I mean, there's not good communication there where you could just say, yeah, no, it doesn't exist. And even if he did say that to them, they're going to oh, well, maybe it does. We don't really know. You know, he could be lying about it. So you have to come up with some sort of damage control option. It is The tape is interesting because one of them, I'm trying to remember which official it was, said that, you know, he said it, he admitted it, something to the effect that he's sorry. Earlier in the conversation, he hadn't said that. It's hard to know, and I'm guessing we will quickly, in the next few days, know more about this. Uh, yes, I'm sure we'll all find out when we read her book, where all of this is supposed to be disclosed. But her book isn't any good if it's just her saying this happened, right? I mean, I think with Amorosa, you've got to have... You, you've got to hear it. You've got to hear somebody saying, yes, I heard him saying that, or you've got to hear him say it itself. Like, it's got to go beyond that. If, if it's just in her book alleging this, that's I don't think that's enough because she doesn't You're have right. enough credibility. No, she right. doesn't. Yeah. But right. even the people that she's quoting as sources in her book, whether it's Mark Burnett or half a dozen other people that work for news organizations or, you know, were producers on TV shows yeah. or anything like that, which is ridiculous to even be saying that. So, yeah, I have no idea where she got this information from. As far as I know, I never heard him say anything like that. There's no truth to this whatsoever. So, like, I... This just sounds like a, a, a way to increase book sales to me. Mm -hmm. And considering the, you know, hard-hitting and grilling uh, that she... Hard-hitting questioning and grilling that she had on the Today Show with... Uh, What's-her-face? I can't remember her name. Um, Samantha Guthrie? Is that her? That's, I think that's right. Yeah. yeah and how, that's a name. That's, yeah. That is a name. <laughs> yeah. Um, and how evasive and I, I hate to use the word glib in an interview to you know not do the Tom Cruise thing um, she she didn't come off as credible in any way shape or form I'm a Rosa no oh, wow. not at all wow. she didn't wow. know how long the, the You're tape talking that, crazy Nick right. <laughs> she didn't know how long the tape actually was when she said when uh, Samantha was saying so you knew that he was a liar when you went to go work for him she said yes so why did you go work for him? And she completely dodged the question and said, uh, was kind of an ass during the entire interview, sidestepped the question and then pointed to her book. And then she goes into this whole weird diatribe about the tape with Kelly and the Situation Room and how it was four men and her locked in a room. And it's this weird pseudo-sexual thing. That's how you fire people. You have people, you have lawyers in a room with your boss and you're an employee. That's what it is. You sound like an asshole saying that. This is not a sexual harassment thing. They were firing you in the way that you're supposed to be fired. All of this stuff just says to me that she has no credibil credibility whatsoever. And I don't believe any of the statements that she's making. Sure. Yeah, I, I get that. I'm, For me, the tapes done. is a different thing. Phil, go ahead. Um... Well, I mean, in terms of like whether the tape exists and what I, so I, it doesn't matter, right? I, it, whether Trump uses the N word or not matters, right? Yeah. But this tape or that whether this tape exists or whether Omarosa is telling the truth or not, I just have a hard time feeling like it matters in, in, a, in two ways. One way in which is that I saw somebody talk about how this sort of accusation is built into Trump's approval, disapproval ratings already. Hmm. So people who don't like Trump aren't at all surprised. They expect that there is a tape out there, right? That they wouldn't be at all shocked if Trump uses the N-word. People who support Trump at this point 
aren't going to care, right? They're going to, they're like, they're going to dismiss this like they've dismissed other things and that it's him, you know, breaking through the PC bullshit and, and just, you know, talking, you know, honestly or truthfully about stuff or it was a mistake or whatever. So it's not, it's not that the release of this tape is going to bring Trump down. Um, Go ahead. Well, I was going to ask, so you, so you don't think so? We were talking earlier today. We were texting about this. And so you, if the, let's say there is a tape, and that's a big, big if. I get I get that. Mm-hmm. But let's say it does come out where somebody says, yes, he used this you know, in the taping of The Apprentice. You, you don't think that could sway a segment of the pub population. You don't think that leads to impeachment. You don't think that goes anywhere. How, I mean, how is it an impeachable offense? It, well, there's some other stuff. <laughs> I, if, if it moves the needle, I think it moves it very slightly. I, I mean, this is a man that a month ago stood next to Vladimir Putin and took Vladimir Putin's word over the word of his intelligence agencies. This is a man who's on tape talking about, you know, the, you know, the, the Access Hollywood yes, tape yes. before he was ever elected. The idea that this is suddenly going to prove that he's a racist is like th- that's the other way in which this doesn't matter. Right. If if. Trump talking about Mexicans as as rapists and talking about African countries as shithole countries and talking about Charlottesville, um, you know, yes, yes talking yeah. about how you know there are there are whatever he said, good people on both, both sides in Charlottesville, right? If if that hasn't convinced people that Trump has race issues, I I mean this is like I I just I'm I I don't know I'm just not I in normal world previous presidential administrations if a tape came out of the president using the n-word i think yes it would have been massively you know damaging to him i i I would love to be proven wrong i i should be proven wrong but i I still think that if a tape comes out i don't i think it's a massive scandal that lasts a week and then people get back to living prison life again you have a similar you're similarly inclined on this right yeah Yeah. i i i I wouldn't even say it lasts a week people who have decided that he's a racist already or who don't support his policies think that this tape exists the fact that we're even talking about that he you know called her a dog in his tweet he did that half a dozen he did it with glenn beck he did it with bill maher when they got fired and half a dozen other people he specifically called them dogs when they got fired that Mm -hmm. seems to be his go-to thing that it happens to be a black woman in this situation should mean nothing because he uses the same fucking things all the time. It, I, I, it, I, I, which doesn't make well, it right. I, no, it doesn't <laughs> okay, make it right. Okay, Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I'm not saying that it makes it right, but you can't immediately jump to that to it's race. a racist statement and that he specifically meant it to be that. He's just a horrible person. So he's just a, not a good person who can't come up with good one-liners. Yeah. Comes up with a few. I'm just gonna, I'm going <laughs> to... Put go, that in the book. Go a dog again. Yep. <laughs> I, so, I think you and I go different directions on it. It doesn't matter because I think that using dog to describe an African-American woman is problematic. And I, I saw one thing. Somebody went back and you're right. He does talk about other people as dogs. But I saw somebody went back and actually tallied it. And 75 percent of the times he uses dog, he's talking about African-Americans. Mm-hmm. So I, I it's it, it is again. It's I don't. We talked last week about it's like this little bit. It's like the evidence that kind of piles up. It's the it's the trends and the patterns that develop. And so I, it's I don't know. I, I think it. I, so you were saying that you don't know that using the, the term dog is necessarily racist. I think that like he's so op- like apparently racist at this point that I don't know that this is the thing that actually 
you know, it's not that people, I, I, I would be amazed if people are like, oh, well, now I'm convinced. Now he's, now I believe he's a racist because there's a tape of him. And given the conversation, one would hope that he would know better to say, there are allegations out there that I'm a racist. I better be careful in my language. And he's not. And right. I think that is also an important point. I mean, he knows that people are calling him a racist all the time and that calling an African American woman a dog is going to just add fuel to that fire. And he doesn't care. To, to, to go back to what Nick was saying and to actually support what you were saying <laughs> instead of pushing against it. Hold on. I did see Let somebody who said, <laughs> I did see somebody who was talking about the fact that if you take the race question out of it, the fact that the president of the United States is referring to someone as a dog and the fact that this is a go-to thing for him should be that in and of itself, even if you take race out of it, should be like a controversial, yes. you know, um, it should it should set people on alert just because of the dehumanizing nature of it, right? The I mean, and and the petty like amateur like immature nature of it, right? There's so many reasons why lashing out at someone and calling them a dog because they say bad things about you mm -hmm. should make people concerned, whether it's on race lines or you know maturity lines or dehumanization lines or whatever. Like it's just insane. That the president is taking to Twitter and calling people a dog. And we've gotten so used to it now that we don't think it's that big of a deal. But you can't envision Obama or George W. Bush or, or Bill Clinton or you know any of them using that kind of language uh, in a punitive openly, way. Yeah, not openly on exactly. a, on you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I there's lots of presidents who I could imagine saying terrible things in private. But they, even then, the idea of going to national airwaves or to you know whatever the Twitter yeah. equivalent was in well, Nixon. Nixon, I mean, Nixon clearly had race issues as well, but he right. knew to keep those behind closed doors. On a tape recorder. Right, exactly. Well, that wasn't so good. The, the other interesting, two interesting things about this. One is, why is everybody in the Trump administration taping each other? I mean, they're all, they must all be walking around with tape recorders. Like, you know, you would think the feedback loop, you know, when they get close Some to each other would be problematic. You know, like, who's, who, are you taping too? Yes. I mean, was it Cohen, Amorosa? Yeah. I'm sure Jared's got a couple, you know, tape recorders going. Cause... How have they not just gotten rid of any personal? Yes. Uh, cell phones or any personal recording device. How does she take this into the Situation Room and get away with this? Well, that's and... an honor system. You're not supposed <laughs> well, that, to take anything. But in that there. speaks to this broader point of what kind of people is he, br are, you know, is he bringing in that are willing to do all of this? That are self-serving and taping each other. When, mm -hmm. Yes, you're, you're, you were. I mean, we've talked about this before. Trump, whether you so, if you step back and even even if you like just assume that you know Trump's a well-intentioned he's he's you know you support him or whatever right like you you like what Trump's doing Trump has become um a liability right because we are so divided as a society it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you're a public figure to align yourself with Trump because of the divisiveness around him i i think so the people who are willing to and and you know there's a long history of People who who put themselves who tie themselves to Trump ending badly. So if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna like take a shot at being a part of the Trump administration at this point, it's because there is some like self-serving aspect to it, right? You you have something to gain by it. Yeah. When Trump has surrounded himself with people who are self-interested, trying to sort of maximize their own gain, their exposure, this this seems like a logical consequence that people are going to be you know, mistrusting and trying to look out, you know, trying to make sure they've protected themselves. I, it doesn't seem all that surprising that they're going around recording each other. 
I'm going to say something that I know both of you are going to disagree with, but I'm still going to say it. You know, for many times in this podcast, we've called upon those who've left the administration to basically do what Amorosa is doing, to call him out and say he's a racist, he's a liar, he's, he's mentally unstable, he's terrible, we should be freaked out about this guy. Nobody else does it. All the other, other individuals who've left have, have not done that. She's done it. And to Nick's point, I totally get, I think she's not a credible witness, but should we not applaud her a little bit for at least doing some of what we've said that others should have done to expose the White House for what is what's really happening? What has she exposed so far? Well, that he's a liar, he's a racist. We knew he know. was a liar. Well, that's he's true. He's potentially a racist. It, it did take Almarosa two years to figure out that Trump was a liar and a racist, which is a right. bit problematic. Well, yeah, and she specifically says there was a report that said he lied like 4,000 times in the first few months in office. Then again, why are you in the administration? Yeah. You're a self-serving idiot at that point. So no, she does not deserve any credit at all. <laughs> Phil? <laughs> I, well, you've challenged me a little, Bill, because I have <laughs> called for that. And I don't know, I'm thinking through it right now. I mean, my idea when I picture someone walking away and, and speaking out about Trump, it's the adults in the room, these people right. that we've talked about yeah. who are policy experts, who know foreign policy or who understand, you know, the legal system or who are experts in, you know, in the the EPA or whatever, some 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 uh, department within the government, people who actually are there and know what they're doing. I, I still don't know. It, it's not that she if I knew why she was there in the first place, right? if I knew what her credentials were or why what she brought to the table and she walked away and said this stuff, it would give me a little more pause. But because she has uh, this history of being nothing but self-serving, it's hard to, it, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose that, yes, it's good that she's doing it, but uh, you know, I, 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 I agree with both of you. There would be a wonderful irony if it's Amarosa who brings down Trump. And I think of all the – all is... the, don't you think? I mean because it's it's basically, as I said earlier, it's she's Trump. They're both uh, cut from the same kind of cloth in terms of what they – how they want to promote themselves. And there's no substance. There's no real ideology to it. It's all about themselves. And if, she, if she's one of the few actors who won't go away, like the way Trump doesn't go away, uh, I, I see this playing out. For, I don't think this this story and she goes away in a couple days. I think this is something that will play out over the next couple weeks. I think that would be extraordinarily harmful yeah. if that actually happened. Oh, no. Yeah, it's not good for the democracy. No, but yeah. I mean, yeah. if it was that type of person who actually caused something like that to happen, the person who you want that to, not, not to happen yeah. to, but to cause that is Robert Mueller yes. and the investigation. Right. Yes. Something that goes through the democratic process and follows procedure and has evidence, yep. not some idiot who has you know some tapes where she shouldn't have been taking something and taking advantage of that system and then maybe lying about the entire thing anyways i'm done now yeah no I, so you go ahead phil <laughs> no, I, I i think if 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 omarosa is the one to bring down i i'm deeply skeptical that she's the one to bring down trump but if she were i would still say it's not her that did it it's trump because i don't this seems like something that would just blow over if Trump would just shut up about it. And he keeps go like tweeting about it and talking about it. And so I think there are things that media and other people might dig into that um, maybe wouldn't have been dug into if Trump wouldn't talk about. It. So the fact that Trump goes on Twitter and says, 
not just that there is no tape, but that he talked to Mark Burnett, who said that there is no tape, who assured him that there's no, if I'm a reporter, I'm on the phone to Mark Burnett. Can you verify what the president has said? Did this conversation happen? So he's tweeting out, this is an example of where he, he there, there are so many, what seem like unnecessary lies involved in this, in which just don't say anything, but like to like this, this reaction to like come up with some justification or explanation that is almost certainly not true, right? I mm. can't imagine that. But anyway, it, it, the, the way he talks about it opens the door to these things. And his response is insane. I mean, if you look at, again, j this should be of concern in and of itself. This is a minor, uh, you know, these, are, these seem kind of minor now, but I saw somebody talking about Trump's response to the Omarosa stuff this week as kettle logic, which is not something that I had heard of before, but it was, I guess, something that Freud came up with. And Freud talks about, um, I know people are immediately like, oh, Freud. Uh, <laughs> kettle logic, I've read this article talking about kettle logic is, is basically in which someone uses totally unlinked and like contradictory arguments in, in a, or logic in an argument. So mm -hmm. the, the analogy or the, the story that Freud told was this guy borrows a kettle from his neighbor and it it's uh, it it's damaged when he brings it back, and so um, his his neighbors pissed off at him. And the guy argues that the the um, that he had when he took when he gave it back, it was undamaged, or it was damaged, and it was damaged when I borrowed it, and I never borrowed it in the first place. These things that are contradictory, that are mutually exclusive, right? And it's and that's exactly what Trump has done, right? He he said I never use the N word, and then he says I've talked to Mark Burnett, and. There's no tape of me using the N word, and, and he and he's also said. Plus, you know, Omarosa signed a non-disclosure agreement. She shouldn't be talking about these things anyway. These are like those are all insane, and they, they sound like a man who used the N word and right. is terrified <laughs> right. that, that the tape is going to come out. And so it just seems like he's making it worse for himself. Well, he constantly does that. Yes. I mean, he throws no collusion in into every other tweet. So I mean, this is I mean, we we come to expect this at this point. Whether it's yeah, I don't know whether that necessarily means it's true or not, but. Yeah, he does come off like that is a very real possibility that any of these things could have happened. And it doesn't generate loyalty. That's the other thing. I mean, you think about every administration, there's somebody who comes out and writes a book. But no previous administration have they had to have non-disclosure agreements because he knows they're going to talk about him. And that's just the nature of Trump is that he is self-serving. He, he doesn't uh, build loyalty within the administration. And so, of course, those people are going to turn into Amorosas and ultimately you know, spill the beans on all of his weaknesses. And mm -hmm. it's, it, I, I, I kind of feel each week, I think, have we hit the bottom and then he manages to like, what is it? Seinfeld drain a little bit more out of the pool. That's, <laughs> I, you know, you're talking about, he doesn't build loyalty and I haven't really spent a whole lot of time thinking about this, but I was just, as you were saying that I was thinking about the fact that it seems like most of the time presidents have loyalty from the people around them to some extent based on them, but yes. mostly based on their ideas. Mm -hmm. And and it seems like Trump, there, there's, there aren't, and when I think about the people in the Trump administration who are the most loyal, it's the ideas people. It's the, the uh, uh, I can't think of his Stephen name. Stephen Miller. Miller. Yeah. Right. It's like those yahoos that are the most loyal. <laughs> and it's because, you know, the other people that are around him, it's not that they're there because they believe in what he's doing, right? Even the, the adults in the room we've talked about, they're not there because they believe they in his ideas. They're there because they believe in the idea of America or the Constitution or whatever, and they're trying to keep a check on him. And all the Omarosas and the others, they're there because they believe in the opportunity, right? It's yeah. not that that doesn't inspire loyalty, right? The idea of loyalty to Trump is a weird thing. If you, you know, 
the reason why people were crazy about Barack Obama or, you know, George Bush or whoever else, you know, JFK, it was because of like what they symbolized or what they represented. And it just doesn't feel like there's much there with Trump. No, it doesn't. Nick, I know you hate Omarosa, but she was great for some good conversation. Oh, yeah. This is interesting. This is a good one. Oh, well, we've we've gone long. We should talk beers now. Yes. Yes. Phil, what are you drinking? So for the third week in a row, I am having a treehouse beer. Um, You like the treehouse. It's good. It's good. And it's hard to come by, so I figured I would stretch them out. But this week I'm having uh, their IPA. It's Alter Ego. Um, So like I said, three three weeks in a row I've had these. I've had... um, another i think julius i've had before so this is maybe the fourth beer i've had from them they've all been really fantastic this one i i like this one this one's really good it's not at the some of the others were that i had were just like this is phenomenal mm-hmm. and and this one's this one's really good but it's not it doesn't have that sort of standout feel to it like some of the others um you know i'd still i would still rate it as an as an excellent beer but um yeah not not necessarily the superstar of some of the others awesome all right well, Nick and I, we are on our third and final week of uh, Nick and Aletheia beers, my family in Boston. And these I, these were the last ones. These are from these are from the uh, Spencer Brewery, which is the Monks of St. Joseph's Abbey. And uh, I love the fact that we're Holy drinking beer. Yes, beer made by monks. Uh, we've had two of them that we started with the uh, Monks Reserve Ale, which is a Trappist quadruple. Uh, very intense, dark beer. Uh, Nick, what did you think about that one? Uh, it was on. It, it grew on me. Yeah. Uh, not only because it was over ten percent. Yes. Um, yeah. It was very. It was very rich, full bodied. Um, a lot of I don't know if like oakiness is the right word. A lot of um, mahogany. Is it mahogany? Rich mahogany. <laughs> um, very malt forward. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, You're just making stuff up. Now. No, yes. I'm looking at the. I'm looking online. <laughs> we, we have Mad Libs up at the yes. moment. Um. Yeah. I, honestly, it it was pretty pungent to start with and and very dark it's it's very dark um it grows on you yes um especially if it was like cold out or something like that it's a very good i feel like a good wintery beer that's exactly right and when you and i first took our initial sips it was wow this is not kind of not that we weren't expecting it chewy yes and then as it grew it was kind of like a scotch where it just kind of slowly works you uh, so online, they say the Spencer Monk sought an alternative to the use of spices for flavor enhancement by pushing the boundaries of traditional Trappist quad malt profiles. I don't know what that means, Nick. No. But it's got to be good beer. Obviously. Uh, no, I really I enjoyed this. Uh, <laughs> it grew on me, and as it, actually, as it warmed up, it was good. Mm-hmm. So the second one we had, uh, also from Spencer, is the Fayabenda beer. <laughs> Fayabenda beer. Nailed it. Nailed it. I'm very good about that one. <laughs> this was a Pilsner. And I really enjoyed this one. It was pretty good. I feel like, you know, we drink a lot of IPAs and pale ales and whatnot, but the some of the good pilsners are spectacular. Yep. Uh, and this was complex. It was if, if I just initially started drinking it, I don't know if I would have thought it was a pilsner. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed this. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah, we had this one after the, yes. the first one. Um, yeah, it's a good palate cleanser. Um, pretty light, pretty uh, carbonated. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, it's it's a it's a higher quality pilsner. Um, I don't have a lot of taste notes because I, yeah. I'm drinking grapefruit shandy at the moment. Just, <laughs> no, it was good. Kind of, Thank you, Nick and Aletheia. This has been a wonderful three weeks of drinking East Coast beers. Yes. God bless you, monks. <laughs> yes. You do good work. <clears throat> oh. Speed rounds? Yes, let's do speed rounds. Okay. Well, should you tell the people about uh, Untapped. 
Oh, I should do that because yes. that's what I do every week, and then I <laughs> forgot about it. Um, yeah, so the beers that we try, uh, you can find our reviews on the Untapped app that you can download on iOS and Android. We are just Barstool Politics on there, so definitely check that out when you have a chance. Good. All right, speed round. Trump gets sweet, sweet revenge on Peter Stroke. That's how we say it, right? His last name? I, this... I think it's Strzok. No, that's not right. That's not <laughs> oh, right. Okay, I could be wrong. <laughs> so the FBI has fired Will uh, and two beers. <laughs> Agent Peter Stroke, who helped the Bureau investigation of the Russian interference in the 2016 presidential election until officials discovered that he'd been sending anti-Trump text. The FBI deputy director ordered the firing Friday, even though the director of the FBI office that usually handles employee discipline had decided that Stroke should face only a demotion and a 60-day suspension. So there was contention within the FBI. Trump immediately went to Twitter and stated, based on the fact that Stroke was in charge of the witch hunt, will it be dropped? It is a total hoax. No collusion. No obstruction. <laughs> it is. I just fight back. <laughs> so Stroke didn't take the sitting down tweeting... Uh, deeply saddened by this decision, it has been an honor to serve my country and work the fine men and women of the FBI. Uh, this was also the week that Trump went after his attorney general once again, saying that Jeff Session is scared stiff and missing in action. Um, now, Trump hasn't had much good news when it comes to the Mueller investigation, but this had to have been a good day for Trump. Phil, was it a good day for democracy? That's a deep one I threw at you. I know, I know. <laughs> I'm really torn up on this. I have yep. heard I, I'm I I've sort of gone back and forth. Um, so part of I I mean most of me feels like government employees are allowed to have political and personal opinions, right? You don't give that up when you become a government employee. There are people in the in the government who are strong Democrats, and there are people in the government who are strong Republicans. And and Peter is it Stroke or Strzok? I, Stroke. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, struck the, the 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 tweet. I mean, the texting that he did. Uh, you know, it wasn't just about Trump. It was about all sorts of other people that he. You know, he hated. Like. He hated everybody. Yeah, yeah. including um, Hillary and yeah, yeah. So I, I'm a little disturbed by the fact that, you know, I, I think that the instant that those sorts of opinions start to interfere in your ability to do your job, then yes, it becomes a problem. And I think removing him from the investigation was the right thing to do. I, I this idea that he's fired for having for not liking Trump, especially if the context if if it's if it is that he's investigating Trump and he's finding information that you know he's 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 uh, counterintelligence right like he's his whole job is to stop the shit that Russia was doing and so if he's investigating that and deeply disturbed by it, he should be deeply disturbed by it if stuff is going on. So I, um, I mostly I have a problem with the fact that there were institutions and rules in place for dealing with this. And they came down with a decision, which was he should be suspended and demoted. And then the deputy director fired him. And that mm -hmm. it just feels an awfully lot, an awful lot like a politically motivated firing. And that that concerns me that that bothers me um, that bothers me. That bothers me a lot. I mean, yeah. I think he mm -hmm. he did some he did some stupid stuff, but. You know, I, I don't know that it, it rose to this level. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nick, you're nodding your head. Yeah, I, I am doing that. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, even senior members of the FBI said for a, a situation like this, what the outcome of this was is completely off the rails for what standard procedure should be. So that's 
extremely concerning, not only for the institution itself and how they handle cases like this, but as you said, for how our democratic process works and how we handle these situations as a whole and what that means for similar situations going forward. Um, having said that, he seems like a weaselly little shit, too. Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, I, I, I mean... Can we title the episode that? <laughs> yeah, weaselly little shit? Yeah, I'll put some asterisks in. Um, now, it's realistically, given the hyper-partisan environment that we're in and one that is so focused on you know shining a light on every aspect of your digital life or any part of your life that was once private that no longer can be you got to be one step ahead of the game and i understand that you're allowed to have your personal opinions and whatever but when you specifically say in some fashion that quote unquote we're going to stop this that's going to come off really really horribly if somebody finds it's going to be used as a weapon against you whether or not you meant it in jest or just kind of in passing it's a yeah. statement that you made because um, clearly he made statements about a lot of different people in similar in a similar fashion you you can't be naive enough to think that nobody is going to take advantage of that situation no, i think that's a fair point i do think if they looked at any of our text i mean if they looked at the, right. the, te- the oh, three the text geez. the three of us send each other about what's right. going on like it, you could create a narrative that wouldn't be really reflective of who we are no, and how we do our it's jobs a lot of really unfunny memes <laughs> that's right <laughs> So, you know, I, I do worry about that. And I, I think to Phil's point, individuals and especially the FBI, they are entitled to their own political opinions. And when Stroke uh, testified in front of Congress, he said, I have those opinions, but they don't affect how I do my job. Right. And and I would think that that's probably the case for a lot of FBI officials. I mean, when you bring somebody into the FBI, you want somebody who's who's going to be strong and aggressive and not necessarily, you know, shy away from having opinions about things. Mm. So, you know, I, I'm torn on that because I think you can dig deep enough. What troubles me is that if you look at the individuals who were linked with Comey, uh, the FBI, a whole bunch of individuals looking into Russia have been fired, demoted, mm-hmm. or left because of political pressure. And we're not talking yep. about two or three individuals, but a much bigger group. And that's concerning if the intent is to remove those who might be most threatening to Trump. And I don't know if that's the case, but when you see, you know, from top to bottom, if that is an initiative of Trump, he's been very, very effective at removing those uh, or discrediting, whether whether they're removed or discredited. I think that's that's I, I'm worried about that. Uh, you know, he'll be fine. He'll, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he'll be just fine. He set up a GoFundMe page immediately after yes. this happened yeah. to help with his legal bills. Mm-hmm. I, mm, yeah, he's a weaselly little shit. I, yeah, <laughs> it, it's yeah. I, I mean, I, the, you were you somebody I saw referred to it as the Saturday Night Massacre when when Nixon fired yes. everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that what basically what you've seen is the Saturday Night Massacre in really slow motion, right? Yeah. All these people who are involved in the investigation of the president, and there's something that's you know, I, uh, there's something noteworthy about the fact that that Trump is claiming that. I don't, anyway, to, that this is all about a politically motivated witch hunt, right? And then to see him being fired for political reasons, right? That he didn't have the right political views, and so he was fired. And so that, yeah. It's... Well, and that the president can do this. The president can attack anybody and use any kind of language. But, you know, God forbid that somebody in the FBI have an opinion. I, I, I don't know. That's I'm... it's troubling. Yeah. I'm kind of curious to see what will, if anything, will come out about the the decision to fire him. That came from the deputy director, and I'm wondering if there were other 
who else was involved in that decision and if there were discussions higher up. Um, mm. And if there were, I can't. I have to imagine that at some point that sort of thing will come out. Well, and along the same lines, Andrew McCabe, there was a similar, the deputy director of the FBI, there was a similar decision where some have said, and his lawyers argue, that they didn't follow standard procedure. And if right. that's the case, eventually that comes out. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, topic number two. So this week we were reminded that nearly 17 years, after nearly 17 years, the United States is still at war in Afghanistan. Huh? Yes. Yeah, Where's that? I, 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 it's, it's somewhere far away. Hmm. Uh, Taliban fighters who took parts of the strategically important city of Ghazni, a city of less than, uh, less than 100 miles from the capital, Kabul, uh, what is likely? It is likely that the Afghan forces will retake the city. It nevertheless raises the question of what is the long-term strategic plan for Afghanistan. Nearly everyone involved seems to have accepted that there will be a mili- there will not be a military solution to the conflict, and that sitting down and negotiating with the Taliban is the best course of action. This has led some to reflect on the arc of the conflict. It's been 17 years, hundreds of billions of dollars have been spent, and thousands of coalition forces have died. If we went back to 2001 and informed the American public of how this would all play out, do you think they would still support it? Unlike Iraq, Afghanistan was always seen as the legitimate conflict. Moving forward, do you think we will still continue to see it that way? And I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I think this is a, a big question. If Phil, you went back in time to 2001, they'd kick you in your teeth and tell you you were very un-American. About well, exa- right. Exactly, <laughs> right? I mean, that's the thing. And, and so, to, Rightfully so. To, to think about that contrast 17 years later. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, this is, you know, it's different. So, Phil, Phil I mean, you... Uh, you think about comparative politics and countries, and uh, wh- what's your sense of all this? The, I mean, the, the fact that it's been 17 years is mind-boggling. I saw somebody on Twitter say something about looking forward to next year hearing which college the Afghan war is going to go to. Oh. Like, the fact that it's almost 18 years old is, I mean, that's, that is really, that's amazing. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, I think if you went back to 2001 and told people that uh, af- right after September 11th, this war is going to take 17 years, I still think people would support it at that moment. Yeah. But the the part that the thing that they were supportive of was getting bin Laden, right? And the fact that this has continued on for years after the the primary purpose of that was achieved or at least i mean even before he was killed like it was clear that like we weren't you know the the point of afghanistan wasn't about bin laden anymore it it just feels like we've lost the 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 focus it feels like we're at war because afghanistan bad um I, i i don't so i don't know that it's that um I don't know that it's that Americans see the war as legitimate or illegitimate. I just think Americans don't see the war. I don't think it's on their radar. People just don't it like I don't people don't think about it. Mm-hmm. Um especially the fact that it's been sort of behind the you know, it's it's not the top headline. I think about so my son just turned 13. He's he's never, you know, his entire life we've been at war in Afghanistan. I don't know that he knows that, right? Because it's not on the front page. It's not the headline. It's not the major story. And, and you know, it just like it almost feels like the military just sort of carries on and kind of hopes not that they hope that we don't discuss it. But there's not like this. There's just no discussion of it. No. This might be the first time we've discussed it on the podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. potentially. Yeah, I, I think there was one story a few weeks ago about some, I think it was a bombing in Kabul or something where there were several dozen people who were killed and nobody batted an eye at it 
and this seems to be getting a little bit of traction, but I think it's just because it's been 17 years, and I'm sure this will go away within a week as well. What, um, I guess the question I have, given the history of the war, and it seems like, from my perspective, a lot of, I don't necessarily know if the primary objective was to necessarily get rid of bin Laden, but to dismantle the Al-Qaeda network and terrorist organizations around the region, which we've done pretty effectively, and now spread it through, you know, special operations forces, through, you know, any country that you could potentially think of around that area. Um, where we got hampered down was in, you know, nation building and, you know, restructuring and things like that. What responsibility do we have at this point to continue to, quote unquote, pretend that we're still rebuilding Afghanistan after 17 years of war? I think we have to give up on that. Don't you think? We I mean, should have given up two, uh, two years in. That should have been it. Right. And I think opinion. looking back, that may have shifted how we approached the war. So for me, there's two issues. One, is it really about, you know, reforming and rebuilding Afghanistan? Or is it about going after al-Qaeda? And uh, we made a strategic decision to say that the Taliban and al-Qaeda were essentially united and you have to get rid of two. The Taliban was is, is a terrible organization, a terrible group, right? For Very sure. Repressive. But now, when you sit down and negotiate with them, you give them legitimacy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the other question of had the United States not veered into Iraq, would that have changed things? And it's, it's hard to know. It's certainly a legitimate question. Uh, we, we've entered, I think there are some useful parallels to Vietnam here where there is not a military solution to this. At the same time, you can't accept a loss in Afghanistan. And I think if the United States were to completely withdraw from Afghanistan, there is the chance that the Taliban might overrun at least parts of Afghanistan. And then you say, what was all of this for? And and that's a legitimate question. It's it's a but it's a deeply problematic I don't issue. Think anybody would care at this point. No, would it even I, register I think, as a loss? Right. Like if, if we withdrew, like would anybody even like if tomorrow the headline was final troops removed from Afghanistan, I don't a lot of people go, oh, would people God, think, thank oh, God. shit, we've lost? They would just be like, oh, I thought that was over years yeah. ago. That's a, that, oh, that's a, that's, may, maybe I, you're right, but, but the U.S. has lost a couple thousand soldiers there, right? I mean, that's that that would bother me if that if we could so easily. Now, again, maybe 17 years has that effect on us. Yeah, like you said, we have entire generations that have no idea that this war is going on at this point. I think it's much, given, it's sad to say, but given that amount of time, I don't think a lot of people would necessarily care. I, it, it's it's callous, but that's a long time for people to continue to be concerned about something where you don't hear about, you know, daily casualties and injuries and, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I don't know. We don't hear enough about it and there's not enough imminent danger to American troops to put it in the front of everyone's mind anymore. No, I think that's I remember in in after 9-11 when the United States was preparing for the invasion of Afghanistan, talking to a historian from uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison, and he was making the argument, this is a terrible idea. If you look back through the history, nobody ends up being successful in Afghanistan. This is going to drag on. And and I remember <laughs> it was it was a public forum and they said, that's crazy. You're, you're totally wrong. The U.S. is so militarily powerful. And I think about that a lot and, and how you know, prescient he was in terms of thinking about that, that uh, looking back, if we had hindsight, we would have pursued the conflict in Afghanistan fundamentally different. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. All right. Fun. Time to talk about the VA. So (laughs) this is a weird topic, but I think it's fun. So a new secretary was sworn in at the Department of Veteran Affairs in late July. Yet it appears that three of Trump's cronies down at Mar-a-Lago are actually running the VA. The shadowy 
three, known in the department as the Mar-a-Lago crowd, have been empowered by the president to help steer the Veterans Agency. First reported by ProPublica, the three men have pushed the agency toward more privately uh, provided health care, tried to derail a critical contract, blocked attempts to fire employees they consider allies, and were instrumental in the firing of the former secretary, David Shulkin. The story uh, got about a day's worth of attention, and then we moved on to the next shiny Trump story. Yet this one troubles me. Phil, I don't remember reading about Mar-a-Lago in the Constitution and these three yahoos having this much in, uh, influence. Are you... No, it's in there. It, it is. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this this, I, I, this, this just kills me that the three guys, one's a dog doctor, one's a lawyer, and one is Did like... a dog doctor? Uh, yeah, dog. No, he's a doctor. <laughs> so, okay. Dog yeah. doctor. That's called a veterinarian. <laughs> <laughs> that could have been why Trump put him in charge. Of right. I, think, I think he's a real doctor, not a doctor. I mean, they have to know how to deal oh, with a chicken a and a pig and a dog right. and a monkey. They got to be good at their job. There's a lot of veterinarians who you just really pissed off by calling veterinarians not real doctors. Oh, and our numbers were doing so well. <laughs> uh. I, I, don't, I mean, this is like, I don't... I, I read a little bit about this this week, but I didn't get into all of the nitty gritty details. But my reaction is, what the hell? How the <laughs> hell does this happen? I mean, there's a reason why people go through an appointment process and, you know, a, a confirmation process of which the, the, the head of the VA has has had problems. Right. This yeah. was the, the his personal doctor that he nominated to. I guess my my thoughts. How does how the hell does this happen? How do like who's a. I can see Trump saying, hey, these three guys should do it. But like, where's the rest of the institutions of bureaucracy to say uh, that's not how it works? Well, apparently they're so afraid that if they go against these three, they'll be fired. I mean, this is this is Nick. This is the, we should be we should be worried about this, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> no, no. I, yeah, I, I, but I mean, that that is what's concerning to me about this whole thing is that the, nobody heard anything about this. And as far as I know. There's been no public discourse about who any of these people are, and I don't recall any mention of nominations or anything. Like, yeah. you're right. The there should be a, a better process in place to vet these idiots. The Mar-a-Lago, the Mar-a-Lago, the Mar-a-Lago crowd. Yeah, I, I mean anybody who's in positions like this. It's leading a government organization, especially something like this that's had such just public. Um, what's the word? Um, it's bad. Right, right. Yeah. There's, uh, yeah. 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 I, I, I just, I, I can't, I mean, I can understand absolutely why he, he would put people like this in place, but there has to be some sort of checks and balances on some of this stuff. That's right. That's, that's government. Yes. That's the, so I, I looked it up. So the three individuals, one is the chairman of Marvel Entertainment. Ooh. That's right. Seems like he knows. The dog doctor is actually a Palm Beach, Beach doctor. And the third guy is a lawyer. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and they're the Marvel guy I trust. Yeah. So, I mean, this, so <laughs> there's nothing, there's not, it's not that surprising that Trump would put three cronies from his, you know, golf club yeah. in charge of things. Um, it, this is how he operates, right? The, the rules don't apply to him or they're, you know, these rules are in place, but they're inconvenient. So I'm going to ignore them. This is the way, you know, he does things. It's part of what, his appeal was is that he would cut past the bullshit and just get things done. Um, so it's not surprising that Trump would do this. The thing that's really disheartening to me is that it's being allowed, it's, it's being allowed to happen. 
that we've talked a lot about the power of institutions or the importance of institutions and norms and all of that. And this is an example of it where, I mean, this is, I mean, cronyism is bad because you should be finding the best people to run an industry, not the people who happen to know Donald Trump um, and, and, you know, deserve he, who he thinks should get a job. Um, but like, where is Congress and oversight and the institutions, all the stuff that it, it's not surprising that Trump would think that this would be the way to do it. It's surprising that there's been no pushback on it. That's mm-hmm. the part that is concerning to me. Presidents try to cut corners and, you know, being president is inconvenient, right? You have an agenda, you have things you want to get done and all the government and the the Congress and everybody else gets in the way. And that's shitty and frustrating when you're the president and you want to get something done. But that's their job. And in the past, they do that, right? Presidents try to cut corners and people and institutions of government push back. And it feels like this happens so often with Trump that I don't know if it's there's so many of them that they don't know where to push. They can't push yeah, back right. in all the places or if it's it's the partisanship and that the Republicans are. I don't I don't really know why it seems to be breaking down, but it's it it's worrisome. Well, I mean, this is this is buried pretty deep. Like, there's yes. not a lot of yep. stories, but you don't hear anything necessarily from the Democrats either on this, which right. should be harping on this. And right. I, I don't understand that in any way. They've got to pick their own They're, battles, right? And they've decided this is, that this isn't but, one. Yeah, I, I, but there are c- congressional committees right. that yes, o- exactly. oversee this exact thing. Mm-hmm. And, and Trump could have nominated any of these individuals to head up the VA. He right. could have said, you know, I want you as the head, a deputy, whatnot. But there's a reason he didn't want to do that. And again, this is this is outside of the normal democratic process. And it should concern us. And it would, in any normal administration, this would be the story. Mm-hmm. But in Trump world, it's a two-day story that everybody says, you know, we, we've got to worry about Omarosa. <laughs> so, it's fine. Right. we got the and, movie guy yeah. dealing with it. Don't worry about it. Right. And, and this I mean, we're at a good example of this, right? Like we yeah. talked for 30 minutes about Omarosa, even though we talked about whether it matters and if it's stupid and all of that. And, but that was yeah. a good conversation. That was that was good. <laughs> so, all right. Next topic. Why is everyone talking about Turkey? If you've glanced at a newspaper lately, you've seen that Turkey has been all over the headlines. Why, you ask? Well, over the last week, the value of the Turkish lira collapsed by more than 20 percent. That's is that lot. bad? It, it, it is. That's a lot. Bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know this because I'm watching my predicted funds and going up 20% <laughs> is really good. Barker, oh. you've gone down 20%. So that's you know kind of the opposite thing. <laughs> so it's a lot and it's shocked the global financial markets. Uh, now we all know that Turkey's president, uh, Erdogan, is a classic authoritarian. And he seized greater control over the country's economic policy. When Turkey's currency fell to another record low on Monday, it raised fears that the country is on the verge of an economic meltdown. And that that could spread to other countries. Uh, the United States has also complicated Turkey's financial look by doubling tariffs. So Trump did this on steel and aluminum coming into the United States. Trump tweeted, quote, our relationship with Turkey are not good at this time. Um, you sure that's the name? Is really a country called it's Turkey. Called Turkey. Can I eat them? <laughs> They'd be delicious. Uh, so this is another weird story where it feels like Turkey should be doing better economically. They're not. Um, and uh, the markets and economists are concerned that this this could really fracture global the global financial market. So, thoughts? Mm. I I mean I I don't necessarily think this was entirely unexpected given the past several years of increasing borderline authoritarian rule yeah. on the part of Erdogan. He's dictatorial. He is dictatorial, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Um, doesn't listen to anybody. No, he doesn't. 
uh, like people on this podcast. <laughs> uh, he, I don't know if it was him specifically, but the the Turkish government was telling people to, um, if they do have any U.S. dollars, to transfer them into Turkish lira to kind of prop up the currency, uh, at least for the time being. And then with the um, increase in tariffs on aluminum and steel, it's it's bad. I don't I. I question how much of an effect it's going to have on international economics, considering they've kind of, again, been waning slightly over the past few years, fairly steadily. Um, but it is concerning because as the economy collapses, you have a, a significantly greater likelihood of slipping into more authoritarian rule, which is probably more concerning, especially in that region more than anything to me. Heading the way of Venezuela, potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Phil, you have a, a large percentage of your portfolio in in the Turkish lira. Are you worried? Yeah, yeah I moved it. I moved it all out into into Venezuela last week. <laughs> We're into rubles, guys. Yes. That's the future. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, so I'm I'm not an I you know I'm not an international political economist. I the the, but I I think I think it's dangerous to. Um, I don't think by any means it's guaranteed that if the Turkish economy collapses, it means like a global economic recession. But I think uh, it, it's you have to be cautious about assuming that, hey, it's Turkey. That's that's over. You know, that's halfway around the world or whatever, because this is how global financial crises begin. Right. I mean, you can look at long histories of these these global economic collapses that begin, you know, with some weird thing that happens in Thailand or, you know, like the the you know, the, the European economic crisis you know, is an example of this um, 10 year 10 years ago. It was that's crazy. Yep. Um, the you know that it began with it was tied into U.S. markets or whatever, but you know it was uh, the the fact that they they all the, all these countries are so deeply interconnected now in this globalized world that you know one country goes down and investments there collapse and people pull their money out and that you know and that sends panic and people pull their money out of other countries that they perceive as also dangerous or or you know vulnerable and it it spirals um, very quickly. Uh, yeah, I mean I don't I I don't it's. You know, I, Turkey has been such a mess for so not for so long for the past few years that that it's it's I, it's a little weird to see the president of the United States sort of piling on yes in the way that that Trump is doing, and the 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 his you know his willingness to sort of use use the tools at his disposal it feels sort of punitive the way that he's he's doing uh, you know increasing tariffs and and whatnot that it felt like you know he doesn't like Erdogan or there have been this there have been these tensions going on and so he's going to use this opportunity to sort of kick him while he's down um, well and normally in a situation like this the IMF would intervene so when you have a currency issue the International Monetary Fund what they do and again people probably fell asleep just talking about the IMF but they, they come in and they try to stabilize currencies but one of the, the un, sort of unknown rules about this is that the United States has a majority or has can dictate they have a say. yeah they have they own or they, they you buy basically a yeah, your your vote, the weight of your vote is based on your contribution. And the yes. U.S. is the largest contributor to the IMF, so we have the largest vote. Yes, yep. and to change that, it would require the United States to alter that, and we haven't. So, so we, you know, it, would the United States intervene through the IMF to save Turkey? I'm, I'm not so sure. I mean, uh, isn't there some part of you that thinks Turkey should kind of be kicked a little bit but, while they're down, given that they're curtailing their own people's rights and... 
I, yes and yeah, no, I, but, but they're also a NATO ally. They're also, you know, kind of the entryway into the Middle East in terms of alliances down there. So, yes, I, I, I am not an Erdogan yeah. them. I think he's terrible, but I, I don't want them to become Venezuela. And, and if there were a way to kick Erdogan while he was down without kicking the sure. you know millions yes. of Turkish citizens, mm-hmm. and that's the problem is that if you if you get pissed off at the the leadership of Turkey and give them a giant middle finger, the people who are really receiving that giant middle finger are the Turkish people whose economy is collapsing around them because their leader has pissed off, yeah, you know Donald Trump. But or that's whatever. the thing. Like, are are they going to side with their leader in you know a similar way where I don't know Iran or something would? Um, I mean, he survived a coup attempt, did yeah. he not? Yes. I, I, I think there's still a fairly good likelihood that if the situation does deteriorate and authoritarian rule continues to increase, that they're going to blame him more than they're going to blame outside forces for what's going on. And I, it, yeah, go ahead, Phil. It's not about blame for me. It's just about like the the, the suffering that they like. I, I oh, would I like agree. to think yeah. that the international community who really dislikes Trump, that their goal isn't to like fuck over the American economy just because of Trump, right? Sure. Like I want them to because of you know that it, it affects all of us. And so yeah, I mean I that's anyway. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean it, yeah. It's also an interesting yeah. model in terms of the populist authoritarian model. Will that work? Right? He's you know uh, Hugo Chavez is was one model and Erdogan is another, and uh, you know I think Trump is a, is a, another one. These protectionist tendencies don't always play well. And I don't think that the United States is going to follow the path of Venezuela or Turkey, but, you know, we should still be thinking about all of that. Yeah, I mean, I think you could have, new again, nuanced this policy a little bit to make it more pointedly directed at the Turkish government as opposed to just kind of this overarching thing where it seems like it's, yeah, you're just kicking them all they're down. Trump doesn't do nuance. Make America great again. Obviously. MAGA, baby. Nick, let's play my favorite game. Okay. The favorite game of what was the biggest insult of the week? We have a lot of favorite games. I know we do. (laughs) All right, contender number one. On Monday, President Trump visited Fort Drum to sign a $716 billion defense bill named in honor of ailing Senator John McCain. The bill is officially called the John S. McCain National Defense Authorization Act. Yet during the entire ceremony, Trump refused to even mention McCain by name. Ouch. The whole thing, it's named after him, and Trump refers to the bill, but doesn't say John McCain's name. All right, contender number two. You guys remember Stephen Miller, right? He's a fan favorite of the podcast. So he's Trump's senior advisor who is about as anti-immigration as you can get and has been the brainchild for most of Trump's most controversial anti-immigration policies. Uh, Well, his uncle wrote an op-ed for Politico in which he called his own nephew an immigration hypocrite. In telling the story of how the Millers, the family, immigrated to the United States, it was a brutal family takedown. I mean, this was, if you have a chance to read the article, he does not pull any punches. He says, like, the reason we are here is because of U.S. immigration policies. They allowed us to come. We suffered. We moved forward. It was, it was powerful. All right. Contender number three. Back to Trump. A story this week in Political noted that Trump once referred to the country of Nepal as nipple. <laughs> It's insane. It's an innocent mistake. As Button. Also innocent. Yes. That's pretty insulting to both Nepal and Bhutan. (laughs) I wanted to say Button. (laughs) Gentlemen, what's your top insult? (laughs) Phil, is it nipple? So... (laughs) The title for this week is going to be Nipple Button. (laughs) 
I don't I I just have a hard time like digging up any real sympathy for Stephen Miller. <laughs> so it's hard for me to feel bad at all for him. Although, you know, having a family member write an article about you na- nationwide, you know, a national article about how you're an idiot is, is, uh, <laughs> That's you know, rough. rough. I, I can't imagine if I, <laughs> I, 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 it would be interesting to see what some of my uncles and aunts thought of me. They're lovely people, but we don't, <laughs> we don't always agree on politics. I love them. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, I maybe I, I, the, the first one I'm going on when I'm just supposed to give you a quick answer, the John McCain thing. I, there were lots of, was it Jake Tapper who like did the whole thing about thank you, John McCain and did that. Was it Jake Tapper? Did you see this? No, I didn't see it. Whole segment about how Donald Trump won't thank John McCain. (laughs) So we will. And I, that's a bit great. over the John top. McCain is a hero, but it's like that they passed what a seven hundred billion dollar bill, and rather than like talking about what's in it or the implications or whatever, we're just going on about how great John McCain is. I, that one kind of pisses me off. So I guess I have to go with with nipple button, because, <laughs> <laughs> mostly because I think that's hilarious. <laughs> Nick, how about you? Of course, it's nipple button. You can't. It's not even a contest at that yeah. point. It's just, like. We go through these stories every week, and just it's this constant barrage of just him sounding like an idiot, like a legitimate idiot. Mm-hmm. And I, I think even what's her face, um, Omarosa, was saying that he's uh, borderline functionally illiterate or something. <laughs> like it's, I, I just. It, Regardless of what you think about the guy, there's just a lot of crap out there that he gets on a weekly basis, whether it's true or not. And a lot of it is absolutely deserved. But the fact that there are people out there saying that you don't know that these countries exist and then have no idea how to pronounce them, it's just... It's childish and so one-dimensional. And I I mean, for someone who constantly wants people to like him, that would be... That would kill me. <laughs> well, and, and in that story about nipple button, was that, <laughs> the lead of that story was that <laughs> was that Trump's advisors have to remind him that he can't just call foreign leaders at any time right. of the day because right. there are time changes. Right. And that was kind of like the biggest element of this. No, you can't call Japan right now. Everybody's sleeping. Look, it's right, it's, the sun's right out there. It's what are you talking about? <laughs> right. It's up. But his response is like, well, I'm up all the time. Anybody can call me at any time. I should be able to call them. So to me, nipple button seems more about his ignorance than an insult. Um, it is certainly an insult, but it speaks more to his lack of knowledge. So for it's me, it's a, go ahead. It's an, it's an insult to him. Right. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. To me, one and two are the really big ones. Like, so is it, you know, political insult versus family? And for me, family's bigger. The fact that a relative would go and write this just takedown piece of a family member and call you an immigration hypocrite that you're going against your family for me. And, and Stephen Miller is just a turd. I mean, I can't stand that guy. Um, you know, and, and he's always so smug. Um, I don't know. So I was, I enjoyed that more than, than the other ones. Okay. It's true. If I think about what, if I were the, the recipient of any of these, yeah. if someone mispronounced my name, it would let, you know, uh, whatever it, it would, you know, anyway, I could get over that. If, if there was a big bill named after me and the president did refuse to say my name, that would be anyway. But yes, if, if a family member, 
came out and talked about how terrible I am and how stupid I am, that would like keep me up at night. Yeah, that's, that's probably true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just bad. Yeah, it's not, like, the fact that we even have to do this and play this game on a regular basis. This just, is my favorite part, Nick. It's, the game. It's hilarious. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, and I'm I'm really glad we're able to do it on a podcast because <laughs> we have a segment almost every week. Yes. Is is that worse than the story we talked about a few months ago when the guy's who was running for office parents donated to his opponent's oh, cause? That one's I pretty that's bad. Worse. That's worse. That's, that's worse. That's pretty bad. Uh, I, the, the other one that almost made the game was there were two guys online that were arguing. Did you guys see this story? There were two guys online on some sort of chat group where they were talking. And one guy was uh, just got out of prison and was a felon and couldn't vote. And then he's the other guy said, "Well, you shouldn't have committed the crime. You should go to jail. I mean, you know, you don't have a right to vote." So then, that guy started threatening the non-felon, at which point the non-felon went over and shot the felon at his house. Huh? Yeah, and I th- I felt that was sort of insulting too. You know, that's that's more murder than yeah. Well, he lived. Um, he lived. Okay, oh. <laughs> attempted murder. Right. <laughs> But I felt both of them were were, were a tad insulting well, to each other. Did they know felons. each other? No, or was they, it still like they, they had a? So I, should I be concerned about them? the things I'm saying on this podcast? No, they they were they were exchanging views online about politics and like what we're doing. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, how I, I I how would he have found him? Uh, was he like question. taunting him? Check. And here's my address, motherfucker. <laughs> Come get me later tonight. <laughs> we'll yeah. be tweeting out Bill Muck's home address. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Oh, bad. this was fun. This is a fun one. one. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to? Sure. That? So, uh, you know, again, we, we've been really excited. Thanks again. If the listeners are still listening late in the podcast, but we enjoy uh, you guys listening and sharing us and follow us on Facebook at uh, Barstool Politics at Twitter at Barstool Paul P.O.L. Um, again, rem- uh, go out and check uh, predictit.org. It's a, a fantastic, fun site. Sponsor of ours. We're really excited about them. We're happy with the relationship. And uh, what else, Nick? I mean, uh, podcast. Um, yes. SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Yeah. Uh, but most of you, if not all of you at this point, are on iTunes. So uh, find us on there. Uh, review us, share us, like us, all that good stuff. It makes a big difference to us. We're yeah. s- we're small and we're growing, and we're really excited about that. We so. appreciate the support. Yeah. Yep. Um, anything else, guys? It's fine. I don't think so. Yeah. Good. Nipple button. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers, guys. <laughs>